Welcome to the Talking Solutions Podcast. I'm your host, Will Cheshire. And in this podcast, I speak with impact-driven founders and share their real-time stories about how their solution has a positive impact on society. This is a show for founders, investors, and all individuals looking for some positivity and optimism as you hear from people working hard to help better our society and our planet. You can expect to learn about some awesome new products and services in this show that will bring you more hope in our quest to solve some of society's biggest issues. Let's dive in to this week's episode of the Talking Solutions Podcast. We're talking about a solution for individuals with low to moderate vision impairment in this week's episode of the Talking Solutions Podcast with the founder and CEO of Reboca, Rebecca Rosenberg. Reboca is a mobile application empowering people with low to moderate vision impairments to improve their ability to see through sleek, affordable, and streamlined technologies. The app allows users to create custom video filters to better adapt to their environment. Personally, this was a solution that I found fascinating as, to be honest with you, it was something that I had never really thought about before, but I quickly learned how big of a need there is for this type of impactful solution after first speaking with Rebecca. She has an inspiring story and is already helping thousands of individuals across the world with their vision impairments. And I'm really, really excited to share such a life-changing solution with you on this episode of the podcast. So without further ado, let's dive in and learn more about Reboca with the CEO and founder, Rebecca Rosenberg. Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Really looking forward to this conversation. First and foremost, how you doing? I'm pretty good. I'm doing okay today. You know, it's, you know how it goes. Happy to be here. Yeah, another day in the life of the founder and CEO where you're running around millions of meetings, things to do, people to talk to. Back and forth all the time, but it's all good. You know, all good things. Yes, obviously good problems to have. And Rebecca, first and foremost, before we really dive into your fantastic solution of what you're doing with Reboca here, I'd love to just hear a little bit about your personal background yourself. Obviously, I know with this startup and this company, you know, there it's got a little bit more significant meaning than maybe some others might have out there. So I'd love for you to, to kind of share your story and, and kind of lead up to the point of why you decided to create this startup and, you know, be the founder. Yeah, absolutely. My name is Rebecca Rosenberg. I am the founder and CEO of Reboca and um, our company does assistive technology specifically for people with moderate, uncorrectable vision impairment. Um, and that really started as a result of my growing up with a moderate, uncorrectable vision impairment. I have a rare genetic condition, it's called albinism. And basically just about everybody is familiar with albinism. They just don't necessarily know that they are. Um, if you've ever been to the zoo and you've seen an albino animal, um, that's like an animal that is white, that maybe shouldn't be white. Uh, for whatever reason for everybody, it's almost always an alligator. Um, I don't know why every zoo has like an albino alligator, but the, the disorder that I have is the same as, as those animals. And basically, what it means is that my body doesn't produce enough melanin or pigment, and that is necessary for the proper development and maintenance of vision. Um, there's a, a whole lot of biology at play there, but suffice it to say that your eyes uh, require a certain amount of melanin in order to collect light properly. Um, and when you have albinism, that just doesn't happen. And so that leads to a relatively wide range of vision impairment that always comes with albinism. Um, you don't necessarily know how much vision, vision impairment you will have, but everybody with albinism has some. Uh, and so 
I really experienced throughout most of my life uh, the the landscape of vision assistive technologies. So for somebody like me, um, I have this kind of very moderate impairment where I can do things like drive, um, but I still struggle to partake in everyday visual tasks like reading the menu board at Starbucks or playing poker with some friends on a Saturday night. And we don't really have any treatments um, or, you know, glasses, LASIK, things like that just simply can't correct the type of impairment that I have. And so kind of just, um, just out here doing my best for the most part. And, you know, this is the case for more than 25 million people in the United States alone who have some type of moderate uncorrectable impairment. And so what I found growing up was that all of the assistive technology out there had really been designed for people who are blind or very near blind. And as a result of that, it aimed to totally replace vision instead of helping enhance the existing vision that a person did have. So it would default to things like text-to-speech or braille, which are really important for somebody who is blind or very near blind. Um, But for someone like me who has a lot of good usable vision, you want the dignity of being able to use that. Um, If a regularly sighted person were to turn on a voiceover, for for example, on their iPhone, which kind of calls out verbally, everything that that is on your screen, it becomes very annoying very quickly. Um, Unless you have to use it, it's really um, pretty difficult and and complicated and and most people don't like it. So what we aimed to do with Reboca was to create a technology that actually was appropriate for this moderate low vision population because it had been so severely um, severely underrepresented by solutions. And so just so happened that uh, when I started college, I, I was getting my degree in biomedical engineering. And about after my, my junior year of college, my engineering school had kind of put out a call for applications to fund a student to take on an entrepreneurial project for a summer. And I ended up getting that grant, spending a summer um, just learning about the landscape of technologies and learning about not just my own personal experience, but what other people experienced as well. And um, putting together the idea that ultimately has become Roboca. Um, from there, I got my master's degree in biomedical engineering at the Johns Hopkins Center for Bioengineering Innovation and Design and um, worked on Roboca kind of parallel to my experience at Hopkins and um, still still live in Baltimore and still individually have a really good relationship with um, several things that are going on over there. Um, and yeah, started, um, really jumped into Reboca full-time uh, about six months ago and have just watched it grow incredibly um, over the last few months. So we're super excited and, you know, happy to jump into anything more, but I will, I'll, I'll pause there. No, fantastic. That was loads of good context. And you already answered about three more of my questions that I had going on there. So perfect uh, there, Rebecca. But one question that does kind of pop up is you mentioned a lot of times with your personal kind of identification with some of the problems with the solutions that were already out there. You mentioned it's one is for if you're near blind and things of that nature. And it's not really for that low to moderate vision impairment that you're kind of dealing with. So when you were kind of assessing this, was this something that you were doing individually just kind of for you where it was clicking like that? Or was it something where you had people that you knew also suffering from the kind of that low vision who were looking for options and solutions and that kind of inspired you to kind of go out and create it? Or or was it maybe a combination of both? I started Roboca when I was 21. And I think that I was 24 before I met anybody else in person with the same uh, visual disorder that I had. So really when I started out, it was, it was largely a theory. It was, you know, I wonder if everybody feels about this the way that I feel about it. 
And so at that point, it was really just this summer project, this thing that I was working on. I was doing some research. I was trying to learn. And when we really made the the shift from this summer project that a student was doing to a really viable company with an actually viable product idea and, and solution to a real problem was at the end of that first summer when my school had kind of taken notice of, of what I was working on and they pushed out just like a one-liner about my story to some of their, their media contacts. And right away I was getting calls for to do interviews. And so I did a, a couple of local like radio and TV interviews. And, you know, that was fun. You know, I was a student and I was like, oh, I get to go, you know, on and, and talk about these things. But what I didn't realize was just the extent to which what I was talking about resonated with more people than me. And so immediately people started reaching out to me after this had happened. All these things aired. I was getting emails. I was getting phone calls. I was getting text messages. Um, even the the lunch ladies where I went to school were like, hey, I saw you on the news last night. Um, I really like what you're doing. I think it's super important. But that was kind of the first time in my life that I was connecting with other people who had a similar lived experience to me. And not only was that an incredible feeling from an individual perspective, um, but it was also exactly the amount of validation that we needed in order to say, hey, you know, we'd actually, we actually might be onto something here. You know, maybe we should continue to do this and, and start to look for some money and, and start to put some things together instead of just this, what I had at that point, which was quite literally an app mock-up that I made in PowerPoint because I didn't even know what Figma was at that point in time. And so that's sort of, that was sort of the turning point, I think, for our company from just something we thought would be kind of fun to look into to a truly viable business idea that that resonated with people. Amazing that that's kind of just when it all kind of clicked a little bit, just like, oh my goodness, everybody's reaching out. They want to talk to me in news and media. And now my lunch lady is talking about how great my idea is. I think I should maybe run with this. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I love that story as well. And uh, I really think that that's important. And in translating that, once you kind of got that idea, so now you have this idea and you're like, okay, it's got legs. I, I know there's some validation, people out there looking at it. When you started to kind of look from a, the business perspective of it as well, because this is one thing that, you know, I think would be an interesting thing to learn about is kind of the market size of the need and whatnot, and whether or not this solution can benefit people with similar vision impairments, but maybe from a different reason and not maybe albinism or, or whatever it might be. Yeah, that's a great question. And one that, you know, even I'm just under four years uh, into this work and something that we still get asked over and over again by investors is, you know, I don't really believe that this is actually all that big a market. Like this seems pretty niche. And what I find so funny about that is that They'll say that and then they'll follow it up with, yeah, but, you know, my my cousin or my son's best friend or, you know, my <laughs> wife has this type of vision impairment that causes a very similar problem that puts them in this category where nothing we have available to us as humans can fix it. But also you wouldn't necessarily know just by interacting initially with that person that they have a vision impairment. It's not so, so severe. And so I, I always kind of laugh when that happens because I'm like, you just, you know, you're some random person and you just told me that you know somebody who has this. So, you know, how do you not believe that this is a big market? And what we have kind of found and had to do was, well, initially what we found is that there is, again, a situation where the the population of, of blindness has been 
so heavily paid attention to, and, and this low vision population has been so ignored, is even in uh, research. It's even in, you know, you can pretty easily Google how many Americans are blind, uh, but you can't very easily Google how many Americans have low vision or a moderate vision impairment. A lot of times if you do that, you'll get only information for people over 45 or um, some combination of blindness and low vision. Um, but there is no number for, you know, how many people are in this this middle section? And so our one of our initial challenges was very much to actually define that ourselves and to do the research that, that we needed to do in order to say, hey, you know, we've looked at the landscape, we've looked at the different types of impairments that often lead people to fall functionally into this part of the spectrum. And today we believe there to be about 25 million Americans with some sort of moderate uncorrectable vision impairment. And that is before you even consider that everybody over 45 has regular age-related vision loss. And so when you think about it like that, and that's a, a, a portion of our user base is just regular people with um, age-related vision loss. When you think about it like that, you realize just how enormous this market is, just how much of an impact this has an opportunity to have. Yeah, quickly dispel the doubts and whatnot there when you take a look at the actual market size. And even using myself as an example, when it comes to vision impairments, you know, I don't have one that's specific to anything of that nature, but I got a concussion, right? You know, when I was a younger kid and it basically what it did is it damaged the partial palsy that I have that connects to my, my brain, to my eye. And so if I look up or to the right, you know, I see double vision. And it's one of those things, like you said, where it's like small enough to where like, I'm not going to go out and tell anybody like, oh yeah, I see double vision of things. But you know, when I'm driving, I can't just glance over to the right. I got to do a full head turn and do everything like that. I can't look up or I, I can't look my peripherals and little things like that. And so I imagine that's the case, just like you said, improved for millions of, of people, not just in the US, but in the world and whatnot as well. So I find that really fascinating and a great approach that you took to kind of dispel those questions, especially when they followed up with, you know, my cousin. Or, you know, my, my aunt. You know, yeah, like. it's, it's every time. It's so funny. Um, every time I'm somewhere and I talk about this, they're like, oh, you know, I think this could help my mom. She has macular degeneration. I'm like, yeah, like 11 million people do have macular degeneration. Like, yeah, It's not uncommon. <laughs> exactly. So within that, Rebecca, let's start talking about the sp solution specifically and, and what it is about your your app and what, you know, Reboca does and, and how it actually helps people. So explain a little bit about how it works and how you can use it and things of that nature to kind of fit the needs and, and be that better solution out there that has been lacking in the market. Reboca is uh, a smartphone app that basically allows users to customize the way that the world looks to be best suited for their visual needs in any situation. So what that means uh, more practically is that it, it works a little bit like Snapchat, I like to say. You open up the app, you get a live camera feed from your device, and you have the option to adjust a whole bunch of different settings that make the way the world looks to you uh, be a little bit different, whether that's adding contrast, adding exposure, uh, adjusting your, your flashlight on your phone. You can add different color filters, different inversion filters. And basically what we've done is given people the opportunity um, and the ability to have access to all of these settings. And then they get to decide for them as an individual and in an individual situation, what works best for them. A lot of stuff out there right now is very prescriptive. It's, you know, oh, you have albinism or you have retinitis pigmentosa. And so you want this, I, I know what you want. And we really wanted to avoid that because what we know is that even if you put somebody else who also has albinism directly next to me, 
even if they're every bit as tired as I am this afternoon, even if they, um, you know, have this kind of same, same disorder, they are going to probably want something incredibly different from what I would want to, you know, read what's across from me, just because it comes down to an individual preference. And so we wanted to enable people with a, a suite of tools that was fully customizable, but that they could also say, okay, you know, I take a Spanish class every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and this professor writes on the board in green ink for whatever reason. And now I know what settings work best for me when the professor writes in green ink. Um, and maybe the class is at 8 a.m. So I'm like exhausted and barely awake. Once you've set up your settings for that situation, you can save them as a preset so that you can quickly access them later and not have to kind of fiddle with it again and, and set it up um, for yourself again every time that you get to that class. And so we've had people use this for quite literally everything you can imagine. Right now we have a few thousand users in more than 70 countries all over the world. And I can confidently say that there are as many use cases as there are users and probably more than that. Personally, I've used it for navigation. I've used it to play poker. I've used it to read menus. We have people who use it to play board games um, when they have to switch back and forth pretty quickly between looking at something that's close up to them and actually seeing where all the pieces are on the board. Uh, we have people who use it to, um, we have a girl who uses it in her sign language class to actually follow along with the professor so that she could see him signing and actually like knows what's going on. We have people who use it, you know, to minimize visual clutter, to read, um, labels on, on cosmetics bottles. Cause for whatever reason they've chosen, you know, a pink background with like gold text. It's just the like least contrasted set of things they could possibly do. And, you know, that person maybe wants to know what they're putting on their face. Um, so we've had people use it for, for just about every situation. And, um, yeah, it's, it, we've been really excited by the, uh, by the response to the technology and um, are always excited to hear from users exactly what they use it for and when and, you know, and how it has improved their life. Goodness. I mean, when you think about the amount of people that you've touched and that you've impacted just throughout the 70 countries plus, and then the, the few thousand users that you have, and then the feedback you get going, that must be kind of something that you look back on and go, wow, this little idea that I had in my head for my own personalized, you know, issue that I had is now positively impacting, you know, thousands of people out there. That's got to feel pretty nice as you kind of move forward and keep yourself grinded. Absolutely. I mean, we get messages almost daily, uh, you know, Facebook, Instagram, email, everywhere you could possibly imagine from people who are like, thank you. It finally seems like an assistive technology was developed by someone who actually has this problem instead of someone who is speculating around this problem. And that's something that's really important to us and really helped inform our design process of Roboca was to have really heavy user engagement and to make sure that every decision we were making was informed, not just by my own personal experience, but by the personal experience of as many people as we could possibly pull together. And so we spent um, about a year with the app in beta with a cohort of about 100 beta users who just over the course of a year, we would push some updates, they'd give us feedback, we changed feature sets, we changed the user experience, we changed um, you know, all different pieces of how the app worked, how the Zoom functionality, um, what the kind of the gesture was associated with that. and. Um, that's something we've really continued to prioritize, even now that the app is available more broadly, is to make sure that we are 
connecting with the users who are using it and understanding how how else we can continue to support them, what else they want to see as we continue to develop the technology. Yeah. And on that note, with the technology, I mean, how important do you think it was for your timing as well to kind of enter it in? Because, you know, I feel like the technology needs to kind of evolve and whatnot. And taking the app approach, too, I think is something that's pretty innovative. I mean, at least for me, when I were to think if I were to think about a kind of vision impairment technology to kind of help someone, I don't know if I would think about building an app to do so. And so how uh, how great and whatnot have you seen from kind of the challenges to the solutions you provided from that technical perspective to incorporate all of these great things that allow people with so many different um, impairments customize it from a personal level? Yeah. So um, to, to that, it's kind of a, a fun personal anecdote. When I was in high school, um, I, I received from my my counselor from the state of New Jersey, who was my kind of low vision point of contact. And she helped connect me with assistive technologies and other tools. She brought me one day to my high school, um, a device It's called a digital magnifier. And it's about the size of your average smartphone. And she comes up to me and she's like, Oh, Rebecca, like, you're going to love this. You're going to think that it's so great. Um, it looks just like a smartphone. Like, here you go. Um, here's your, your magnifier. And she pulls this out and she's like, but you have to be really, really careful with it. It's really expensive. And, you know, I was like 15 and I was like, ooh, you know, how expensive was it? And she says, oh, it was $900. And this was at a time where the highest end iPhone you could buy was still only four or $500. Um, so this was about 10 years ago. Um, and... I remember just even at, you know, 15, whatever I was looking at that and being like, huh, this is thicker than an iPhone. It has a really, frankly, confusing user interface. It is the camera quality. I mean, I can tell it's not very good. The screen resolution I can tell is really not that good. Why did we pay $900 for this? Um, And so at that point, I kind of said, you know, why? why can't I just use my phone? Like my phone has to be able to do this. And around that time, I was actually also getting into photography. I learned very quickly that I could see the world a whole lot better through a DSLR than I could just on my own. And so as I was doing that, I was starting to get into iPhone photography and realizing that there was actually a whole lot you could do even 10 years ago with a camera that was on an iPhone. And all of that kind of led me to feel like, you know, there's there's got to be a way that we can leverage these devices that people are already carrying around with them to aid their vision so that they don't have to carry around another thing, so that they don't have to spend an additional $900, so that they have and can take advantage of the screen resolution that's already provided on an iPhone. And um, that ultimately combined with the fact that every time you went out to a restaurant, there was you know, an adult who was using their phone to read the menu or to zoom in on something, you know, it was, it's a behavior that's already pretty natural to people. Um, It just, it could not have made more sense to go the smartphone direction. Yeah, really just kind of adapting to with the times and seeing it evolve and whatnot be like, hey, this is perfect. I mean, people are, I mean, the cameras are so powerful on phones now too, especially that to do that with the application is it seems like kind of a no brainer as you were kind of building it. And, and getting that out. And great point. I mean, people are so used to looking through their phone anyway. I mean, you know, I travel abroad sometimes and I'll go to countries where I don't know the language. Just take the phone, put it down and get all the translations. Right. I mean, you can kind of read the menu a little bit that way, too. So, yeah, I'd love to hear, too, a little bit more about some of the biggest challenges that you've kind of overcame 
and from your own kind of founder's journey and whatnot? Because to me, based on your story a little bit, it, it sounds like this was something that kind of wasn't something you anticipated yourself doing, you know, kind of growing up and whatnot. And now you're like, oh, whoa, I'm a founder. I'm a CEO. I'm running a company with a really impactful solution. So tell me a little bit about uh, some of the challenges you've overcome and, and what you've learned a lot along the way. We're taking a quick time out and I'm changing things up this week as instead of a book, I'm recommending a fellow podcast. The Purpose Effect, hosted by Elena Kersey, is an engaging and interesting podcast focusing on highlighting women entrepreneurs and small business owners who are focusing on purpose over profit in their business. Elena does a fantastic job at setting the stage for the episode and uses her great listening skills to ask engaging questions to her guests covering all things related to their business, challenges they may face as women entrepreneurs, and the purposes of their business and how impactful it is to society. You can find it available on most major platforms, including Apple and Spotify. If you're looking to learn more about women entrepreneurs and purpose-driven business, then this is the podcast for you, specifically if you're interested in the Asia-Pacific region. Now, let's jump back in to this week's episode with Rebecca Rosenberg of Reboca. So you're, you're absolutely right. Um, in the, the environment that I'm currently in, I have met a lot of people who have wanted to be an entrepreneur their whole life. Their parents are entrepreneurs or, or they've known them growing up and they are here because they have worked to be an entrepreneur their, their entire life. And for me, I didn't even really know this was an option. You know, I, I did this summer project, Roboka started with this, this grant funding and I just got lucky that I was in the right place at the right time and I had access to the right people who, when things started to go well, were like, okay, now you start an LLC, now, now you start a company. And I was like, okay, now I start a company. You know, that sounds good. You know, you haven't, you haven't led me wrong yet. Um, so I think that, you know, let's do it. Let's, let's start a company. And I think that it wasn't until I was sitting on the Zoom call with the lawyers to actually set up the LLC that I realized how real this was. I realized, you know, I am, I'm founding a company right now. And, um, you know, the, the CEO title that I feel like everybody kind of, you know, it, it has an effect on people has become something that I feel like I've, I've grown into from those very early days where I was like, yeah, I, I guess I'm a CEO. Technically, LLCs don't have CEOs. Um, but now to a place where I feel very confident and, and comfortable with that name. Um, and, you know, from there, there were, you know, as many challenges as there were days. You know, we continued working on the company through the pandemic. My whole support system for Reboca was really based um, at Bucknell, which was where I went to undergrad. And Bucknell was one of the first schools when the pandemic hit to say, hey, everybody get off campus. You, you got to move out. You got to go home. Um, and so as a senior, to get that email in the, the middle of our spring break trip in Disney and realize that I was about to be ripped away from the entire support network who had helped at that point get us as far as we were was really very scary. And it, it kind of caused my mindset to shift from, you know, hey, I can just kind of bump into people in the hallway and, and ask questions about what we're doing to this very intentional, no, if I, if I have questions, I have to set up a meeting and it's going to have to be, you know, probably a couple days out because I've got to get on people's calendars and everybody's scrambling because the world's on fire. And I think that, that that perspective shift also forced me to 
think a little bit further ahead about what we were doing and not necessarily be so um, so flow with the day to day, but to say, hey, you know, where is this going and what information do I need now in order to um, affect change later, whether later was a couple of days or a couple of months. And so I think that shifted us from still, again, just kind of like the student project where we were rolling with the punches to a company with some vision, a company with some um, some forward thinking. Uh, one of the other challenges that we faced was, you know, despite my background in biomedical engineering, I discovered very quickly that I was not a software engineer and that I definitely didn't want to be a software engineer. I remember one day very specifically um, taking my laptop and I was like, okay, I'm going to spend today in Xcode and I'm going to see if I can do this. And after about a full day, like 12 hours on my computer, I could not even get the camera to kind of pop up on the, the, the simulator. And so I said, okay, this is not going to be me. I need to find somebody else who's, who's going to help us do this. And I think that while this is a challenge that a lot of founders, especially solo founders face when they're not a software engineer, I think it was really one of the best things that could have happened to me. Because I think that had I not needed to go find Jacob, who is our, our CTO and who has built Revoca from scratch, um, I think that still to this day, I would be the only person doing everything. And that is really not sustainable for very long. Um, and I think that that's one of the biggest, one of the biggest uh, shifts from being a founder to being a CEO is realizing that you absolutely cannot do everything. And if you try, you will fail at everything. And so I think that that then kind of launched us into um, what ended up being a year to 18 months of really conducting an extensive search for, for a software engineer and ultimately culminated finding Jacob at the end of 2022. And um, he's been an incredible asset ever since he built Revoca from scratch. Um, and, uh, you know, still to this day, we are benefiting from the things that he thought of years ago. That's great. It's one of those things, too, like you said, where it's just like you're constantly learning. I mean, that whole entire kind of story you just told was constantly each day. You have a challenge that requires you to think a little bit more outside the box and learn a little bit and find another solution. Sounds like you've got a, a fantastic uh, CTO in Jacob as well, who's kind of taken the uh, technology control and, and made those decisions there to move forward with it. So I think that that's really important and great, too. And like you just said, being a CEO is, is just as much about your own skills, but also your ability to recognize what you don't have so that you can get people to, to fill those needs. Absolutely. And then actually having the, the kind of humility to say, hey, I can do this, but I'm really bad at it. I should look for somebody who can do this better than me. Right, exactly. Yeah, having that humility aspect of it too. And, and Rebecca, I want to go back a little bit too, because you've talked a lot about your users or the people that are benefiting from this application. And you talked about that long period of time of working through it in beta and things of that nature. So how intentional have you been with kind of scheduling uh, interviews or having conversations with people who are benefiting from their app just to kind of learn from them to kind of help you with kind of building out those new features, especially with how personalized uh, the app is for, for each and every person. So that was a huge part of um, why we set up the beta test the way we did. And actually, before we even got there, uh, we had kind of amassed an advisory board of people in the low vision community, people associated with the low vision community, like ophthalmologists and optometrists and technology specialists. And even before we got to the point where we had deployed it to our, our beta user base, 
we spent multiple, multiple weeks just having a meeting every week with a member of our advisory board. And Jacob and I would sit down and we'd say, you know, okay, uh, here's, here's what Roboco looks like today. Here's what it can kind of do. Here's the demo. What do you think? Rip us apart. And um, some people, you know, would be like, oh, this is amazing. Like, we love it so much. We think it's so great. And other people would rip us apart. And I think all that did was was help us to move toward having something that is is actually useful and that also makes sense for the people who we are relying on to help spread the word about what we're doing. So the optometrists who have a set of patients who can benefit from, from Roboca. And so today, you know, as we have all of these users in, in all of these different countries, it has become a whole lot harder to really meet with them on any sort of regular basis, although we do when we can. Uh, one way that we have found to kind of do a, a good job of that is attending conferences. Um, so I was able to attend the NOAA conference last summer, which is the National Organization for Albinism and Hypopigmentation, which is, again, the disease that I have. And so that was one of, I think, the the greatest experiences of my my life so far was to be at that conference and to to talk to and meet with people who not only, you know, were excited about what, what our company was doing, but also who kind of understood some things that I had always experienced that nobody else necessarily gets. So, you know, the, the experience when your friend wants to show you something on their phone and they kind of turn it around to, to show it to you and it's too far away and you don't want to go through the, oh, you know, can I just take that from you? And like, can I see it? So you just kind of like laugh and be like, oh, that's funny. And like, you didn't see anything and they just take it away and they like feel like they've shared something with you. Um, so, you know, going to these conferences and um, meeting with people and even parents of people who are benefiting from our technology has, I mean, it, it just is the reason that, that we get up in the morning. It's, you know, it is why we do this. And um, we like to say that our our kind of emails, our, our contact us page on the website is, is always open and it's always actively monitored because we want to hear from people. We want to know what they're struggling with. We want to know what they like and what they don't like. And we want to know what they, um, you know, how they, they see this moving forward in the future and, and what else they would like it to do. Wonderful. Yeah. It kind of gives them that opportunity to have a little bit of a say in the company and the, the decisions and whatnot that get made and really make it feel personalized as well, Rebecca, which I think is, is amazing. Um, give us some updates in real time and w- what you guys got going on over there. I mean, I see you got a Techstar shirt. So what is kind of the status of, <laughs> there it is. Uh, for those of you listening, got a Techstar shirt on, of course, you can go to the YouTube, to check out the video version of it as well. But tell us where uh, Reboca's at and uh, kind of where you're at at this current stage and what you're kind of building towards. Yeah. So we're, we're super excited. We were actually invited um, to attend the Consumer Electronics Show and exhibit for free. Um, and so we, we attended CES in early January and had an incredible experience, met with so many potential partners, investors, um, and actually a whole lot more people with low vision than we had actually anticipated meeting at CES. While we were there, um, we received a really fantastic opportunity to uh, do an interview with BBC. So if you are interested in seeing that video, it is on our website. Um, But they did an incredible job over the course of this like four minute video, not only sharing our company's story, but also really showcasing the technology. And when that kind of hit the hit the World Wide Web, we saw an incredible, um, you know, rocket ship launch um, of users on the platform. 
And it's been incredible to now have those people also to continue to learn from. And like I said, we went from having users in about 30 countries to now more than 70. And now what we're really working on is, you know, we've got some some really great traction. We were also accepted to Techstars, which is one of the biggest accelerator programs in the world, very similar to Y Combinator. Um, and so we're in uh, Baltimore at the, the Baltimore Techstars Equitech Accelerator which really just, I mean, I think aligns incredibly well with our mission. And what we're using uh, this program to kind of help us do is decide what new additional features we're going to include in the technology. And one of the biggest things that we're really excited about um, is incorporating machine learning and AI. My background from my master's degree is actually in AI and, and machine learning. Uh, I led some teams doing international projects associated with AI um, in the malaria space. And so really excited to kind of be back on that horse and um, incorporate some AI that will actually help generate for a user the best set of settings for them in a given situation. The same way that your TikTok or your Instagram algorithm learns what you like to see, Revoca will do the same. Um, and with that, we are kind of excited to be um, planning to uh, to deploy V1 of that at, uh, at South by Southwest, which we will also be pitching at in just a few weeks. Uh, so super excited, um, lots of things going on. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been really an exciting last couple of months. Moving fast too, moving really, really fast with all these changes in progress. You gotta. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Move fast, adapt, and, and kind of go from there. It's a wonderful, wonderful experience. And Rebecca too, tell us a little bit about how people listening or things of that nature, they go, oh, okay, this sounds great. Or, oh, I might actually have this and a vision impairment that I could benefit from using the application as well. So tell, uh, tell us a little bit about where people can find you and, and follow you and, and get some more information about Revoca. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't think I mentioned this actually at all. Revoca is currently free to download and to use. Um, we will be offering um, additional paid versions later, but we think that it's really important from just a health equity perspective to always maintain a free version of the technology. So you actually can download and use it on your iPhone or your iPad uh, totally for free. And um, you can find that link either by looking us up on the App Store, so R-E-B-O-K-E-H on the App Store, or um, we're reboca.com, again, R-E-B-O-K-E-H.com. Um, all the links are there. If you are an Android user and you're like, hey, when can we have this on, on the Android platform? Um, there is a wait list set up on our website to help us understand what the interest is in, in an Android version of the technology. You can connect with us on Facebook. You can connect with us uh, on Instagram at uh, Reboca Vision. And um, yep, we're, we're always online and uh, also on LinkedIn. LinkedIn, there we go. You gotta go of LinkedIn and the professional platform of it as well. So it. lots of places to find you. Yeah, lots of places to find you and connect and learn more about it and what your plans are with Reboca and things of that nature as well. Is there anything else uh, Rebecca, that I maybe missed or that you'd like to promote and talk about here? One more thing I would like to mention is um, that actually, so in the spirit of there not really being a, a community or a place for people with moderate low vision to go, um, we actually started a, a subreddit called R Low Vision. There is an R blind, and that's a really fantastic forum. But what you find in a lot of the blind and low vision community groups is that the only thing that is discussed is the experience of blindness. And again, while that's incredibly important, it's often very different from the experience of those of us with moderate impairments. And so we really wanted to create a space um, starting on Reddit that would allow people with specifically low vision to come together and discuss the 
issues and, and things that are unique to our population. One of the most significant of which um, that I've seen come up a lot on the Reddit is, is driving. Um, that's usually a, um, a difficult and uh, time-consuming decision for people who have low vision is, you know, am I going to try to get my license? Am I going to not get my license? Can I even try to get my license? And so we've been really excited by the the traction that that platform has gotten as well. So um, if you're a listener and you're interested in um, connecting more with people who have low vision, you can check out our our low vision subreddit as well. Our low vision subreddit. Love it. That's such a great idea to kind of build out that community a little bit too, or some type of platform, whether it be like you know, through Reddit or a Facebook group or, or Slack, whatever it might be. I think that that's such a wonderful way to really make it even more inclusive and to learn and get a better understanding of it as well. As an Android user myself, I'm sure they're out there. I'm sure they're out there to get it built on Android. Absolutely. Let us know. <laughs> we we want to do it. Um, we just, we got to know. <laughs> yes. Hey, Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on the show and having this conversation. I love what you're doing. I think that it positively impacts so many people. And I'm clearly uh, not the only one who thinks that. And certainly I'm not the most important person that thinks that. So I think that there are a lot of people out there that are going to really benefit from this solution, especially as you all continue to grow and implement more personalized features. And as you mentioned, the ML or I'm sorry, machine learning learning uh, and the AI integrations with that too. And really excited and I encourage everyone to go check out the BBC piece as well. Uh, we'll have all the links in the show notes. So you'll be able to access that, of course. But Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and sharing your story and the reason that you uh, started Revoca and look forward to seeing the progress in the future. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Super, super great to be here. That is the CEO and founder of Reboca, Rebecca Rosenberg, joining us here on the Talking Solutions podcast to talk about how her great solution is positively impacting thousands of people across the globe and actually over 70 countries, uh, to be exact, as we got that data there. So really looking forward to sharing these show notes. Definitely be sure to take check out the description so that you can learn more information. Maybe check out the BBC piece as well. And of course, we'll be promoting all week. Sign up for the newsletter so you can get a little bit more information on Rebecca as well. And I look forward to sharing the next episode on the Talking Solutions podcast when it becomes available every Wednesday. In the meantime, you can sign up for the newsletter, follow us on social media, of course, and shoot me a message. Tell me which type of solutions you would like to hear about as well. I'm always anxious to hear from you. That's going to wrap up this edition. And until the next episode, I hope everyone enjoys the rest of their week. Thanks for listening to the Talking Solutions Podcast. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode and check out all of our guests on our website at cheshtech.com. That's C-H-E-S-H-T-E-C-H.com to learn more as we continue our mission of supporting impact-driven founders. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Talking Solutions Podcast and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Talking Solutions. If you liked this episode, I'd really appreciate a review and a recommendation to a friend as we focus on highlighting these great founders and individuals providing solutions to societal problems and bringing optimism into the world.